0: Embark on a journey with us where resilience meets opportunity. This is the Dirt Road to Success.
1: Hi, I'm Skip Colvin, and welcome back to Dirt Road to Success. Today, we have a very special guest for me. Uh, Dr. Dave Anderson has been a friend of mine for a long time, but he's also been a mentor. Uh, Dave was my pastor at one time. And today's show is going to be pretty exciting. A little bit different, but it's going to be the study of salvation. So soteriology. We're going to talk a lot about uh, why do we need salvation? What does it mean? uh, How do we get it? um, And then it's going to be a preclude to a, or a precursor to a show on sanctification. So you'll be seeing that one coming out uh, pretty soon too. So Dave, Dr. Anderson, uh, welcome.
0: Well, thank you so much, Yep, Always good to be with you.
1: Well, that's right. That's right. I want to talk a little bit about you, and I know you don't like this because you're such a humble guy, but uh, Dr. Anderson, of Mm. course, uh, went to Rice University. You are born and raised in Tennessee,
0: right? Right. Well, not Uh, born there, but raised.
1: Okay, raised in Tennessee and then uh, went to Rice University, the illustrious Rice University, 1967?
0: Graduated then. Graduated, okay.
1: So what was going on at Rice in 1967? What kind of school was it then?
0: Well, it used to be Rice Institute of Technology. Okay. Like MIT. Like MIT. For okay. Caltech. And it was one of the three top science schools in the nation. It was free for anyone who got in. It was sort of like a military academy. Oh, wow. Uh, so
1: so free for anybody who got in, which means the standards were pretty high.
0: Yeah, actually, it, it's changed now. But at that time, Rice had the highest uh, percentage of National Merit Scholars in the nation, also the highest average SAT. Wow. And then, well, you can see why. It's free education. Sure. Sure. So they best only, of the best. They only accepted one application out of 30. Mm. And a lot of those applications were uh, valedictorians of different yeah. different high schools. Which, so it was a real privilege to, to be able to uh, to go there. Sure. I actually turned down MIT to, to go to Rice.
1: So, so which brings me to my next point of how brilliant you are. And I know... Uh, I always tease you about how many languages, which we'll get to in a minute, and all the different things that you've done. But I think you got your master's from in theology from Dallas Seminary. Right. Okay. Uh, PhD, same place. Same place. Uh, 1972 for the master's. Right. And what year did you graduate for your PhD? 98. 98. Okay. You also taught there too, didn't you?
0: I taught in three different departments in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Which
1: which departments?
0: Well, uh, Greek New Testament. Uh, theology and English Bible.
1: Wow. So uh, this is always funny because you know anybody who knows you knows Betty. but <laughs> how many churches have you guys started in the Houston metro area?
0: Uh, about ten. about ten. yeah. Uh, all still going? One is barely hanging on.
1: okay, okay.
0: Uh, but it's it's been around for oh 15 years, I guess.
1: okay. And how many how many languages do you speak?
0: You know, Skip, I'm a translator primarily. Okay. It would be misleading to I say I speak all these languages. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of them are dead, like Latin. Yeah. You know, people don't, yeah. you know. Right. Ugaritic. Yeah. Uh, uh, say it again. Ugaritic. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, uh, you know, my, my PhD is in the Greek New Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, that particular type of Greek uh, only was around for about 400 years. Oh, okay. Okay. And so... Uh, you know spreche of Deutsch, you know be better uh sopra fro whatever you say yeah.
1: whatever so, you say. so
0: i can speak some of the live languages but not uh i mean i barely speak ones.
1: english so when when i hear someone and and let me let me preface it with this so one of the seminary classes i think it was actually the very first seminary class i took at grace uh-huh. school of theology which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute um, was interpreting scripture through greek tools yeah, and I remember you asked me to come up on the board and I was going to write something and you uh-huh. know we were working on the tenses all the different tenses you know right and I look back and I see um, you're you're reading in a different language than what I was yeah uh, you know I've been mm-hmm. reading my Bible in English and I think you were in Hebrew at the time um, and and it was just mind-boggling to me because you know I'm I'm a new student in seminary and I look back and I see I'm like what is
0: going on so, Well, again a translator to be, right. to, to be uh, fluent in a language. I think you have to live there, mm. and uh, like I spent a summer in Germany, and I was getting better as the weeks went by.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I might have a two thousand word vocabulary in German, right? And it takes about twenty thousand to say you're fluent in a language.
1: Like I said, I'm I barely speaking. <laughs> okay, but I am so thankful that you're here. Um, so you started about ten churches. Um, obviously, you started Grace School of Theology. You want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, well, we, we started a Covenant Christian School, which is K through 12. It's mm-hmm. doing very well. Woodlands Christian Academy. Okay. Started in uh, our church, and uh, it's doing very well. That's another K through 12. But uh, uh, Grace School of Theology is a seminary, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also a Bible college. So we have Bible College and seminary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I uh, really started that uh, because when I was teaching for Dallas, if I had 30 students, 10 of them were foreign. But of the 10 foreign students, when they graduated, 80% of them stayed in America. They got a taste of the good life here and didn't want to go home. Sure. Especially if they had children born here who were, who were learning English. So to me, the Great Commission says go. I don't remember saying come. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe, a good point. maybe we can go to the nations. Yeah. So as far as I know, we're the only uh, school that's purposely going to the world at large. We're in 132 countries now. Teaching in eight different languages, and uh, we adapt our uh, tuition to the economy of the of the country. So, like here in America, we charge oh around a third of the going rate for seminaries. Uh, the going rate is maybe six hundred and fifty bucks. We charge about two sixty, I think it is per hour. Mm-hmm. But in Mexico, we charge thirty bucks an hour. In Cuba, we charge one dollar an hour. In Nepal, we charge one dollar an hour. In Pakistan, it's one dollar an hour. Mm-hmm. And we're able to do that because people have been blessed financially, like William Marsh Rice was. He gave his fortune to Rice University mm-hmm. so people could go free. Well, people who've been blessed financially give to this school so that some of these impoverished countries can uh, send their students there without it being a financial burden to them.
1: Well, and I want to back up a little bit because one thing you said earlier, <clears throat> the key, the Great Commission, is go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not stay in the same four walls, and it's not say – oh, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. And, you know, uh, teased my wife one time. I said, man, I'd love to be a missionary, you know, in the mission field. And, and she's, well, Skip, you know, here's the deal. They, they don't have showers, <laughs> you know, not everywhere you want to go has showers. And, and of course I'm, I'm a two shower a day guy. So, I mean, I was like, I'm out. Okay. I've got to go somewhere <laughs> else. But, but the reality is, is God has given us so many different gifts and we all had to find those gifts. And, and, and and i'm still working out finding those and obviously you you have found your gift and i am so so thankful for our friendship and what you've done um but let me ask you this question how how many countries have you taught in not preached in but taught, taught in. in
0: i i'd, I'd have to sit and count them up but oh it, it's probably 15
1: okay so I, like. I know of germany i know of of Israel, I know you know some of the yeah. the things that we have talked out of, of our relationship over the years. I've heard you talk about those. yeah, India, but, Bulgaria, a uh, lot, lot, lot of different places. India and Bulgaria. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, tell me, tell me about India. How how was it there preaching, or excuse me, teaching?
0: Well, I was in a, in a Bible college teaching in Hyderabad, so it was it was fine except. Uh, uh, English is one of the official languages of India. But uh, I was sure they weren't used to my accent, so I slowed way down the first day. And uh, when it was over, I asked the, my sponsor how I did. And he said, they didn't understand a word you said. I said, what do you mean? I slowed down. I enunciated. I was clear. He said, you speak Texlish. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, what if I go about talking to them? Talk he said, well, try that. And, and they understood me the rest of the way. Because you spoke so fast. Well, no, I was speaking with their little lilt, their little... Okay, their, uh, okay, okay. Ang- so it's the sound or the pronunciation <laughs> yeah. that they got it.
1: Ah, it's interesting. Yeah. Huh? Now, but,
0: uh, you know, southern India is where you find most of the Christians mm-hmm. in India. Okay. Uh, but it's a um, it's a very shocking system, to tell the truth. Well, you know, the,
1: the, the great advantage for me is I get, to, I get to get you on a show like this where you get to showcase... A lot of the things you've seen throughout the world and obviously we have you know darkness and we have light and India probably is one of those places where you actually see a lot of the darkness don't you
0: well when I was on the Ganges River and went over to the ashram of the Maharishi yoga it was one of the darker times of my of my stay there I could uh, I don't want to get into it on, uh, sure. on the air here but uh, it's a big fertility cult mm. and okay. uh, Let's put it this way. They, With their yin yang principle in marriage, they would say adultery is 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 wrong. Mm. But if it's in a worship setting, it's okay. Mm. So they send the little girls into their uh, worship temples when they're just, you know, 12, 13 years old. Mm. And they stay there and service the worshipers until they're not attractive anymore. And then they put them on the street and they become prostitutes, many of them, in Mumbai. In fact, I went with a an AIDS worker from John Hopkins University into that red light district. And I, I, I have trouble believing this number to this day. But she said there were 300,000 in the red light district wow. in Mumbai. That doesn't seem possible. Wow. But I kept challenging her with it. She said, yeah.
1: You oh, know, man. when I, I hear those stories, and, I, and I've heard things like that before from you over the times, It, but it really comes to the whole purpose of today's uh, show is really on salvation. And, uh, you know, I think about the, the fun times we've had talking about all kinds of things like your hobbies and, and, and all that's great, right? You know, you love to race motorcycles or used to, uh, <laughs> previous to how many, like, what, I don't know, 50 broken bones maybe or something. <laughs> but, you know, you've raced in the Baja. You've done the motorcycles on the track. You've, you know, raced the country roads, of back roads, and even had an accident. Uh, and, you know, I think about you flying and doing all those kind of things that you've had fun with. But then there's this serious side of you, and um, yes, we laugh and, and we cut up and we make jokes and and we like to like to do those things. But the serious side of you is, we start talking about scripture, and we start talking about the relationship with God that you have and your and your drive and your passion to teach other people about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I see this look about you that you're like you're so passionate you're so poured into it and and today's show is really a culmination of your book uh that i have called free grace soteriology and it's a class you took and uh I, i'm interested i, w- I want to read this to you i don't know if you remember you wrote <laughs> in the in the beginning of this book but says so skip love you brother can't wait to see what god is uh going to use us together for mm. and uh, i think about <clears throat> this book and I think about my relationship with Christ and how you mentored me and helped me through some difficult times. Um, and and this, whole, this whole podcast is about going through difficult times and overcoming those so that you get to the path that you're supposed to be on. Uh, success, dirt road to success, the dirt road piece is the potholes. It's the twists and the turns. You know, there's this perception out there. That Dave Anderson, Dr. Dave Anderson has never had a challenging time in his life. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. A lot of people (laughs) that know you and know you well know some of those, and we can share on those in another podcast. But the reality is, is you've been on your own dirt road before. And and, still on it and still on it. (laughs) That is the key. You just took the Mm -hmm. words right out of my, because the dirt road never ends. Success is not a destination. It's a journey. And we have to continuously be learning. Up until the Lord takes us home, we have to continuously be learning. And and it's learning in faith, which is the whole premise of Dirt Road to Success is about faith. It's about family, <clears throat> dealing with the issues that we all have in our family, but then also work in your career. You've been very fortunate to have a amazing, amazing story of career, uh, just like your story in India, the story in the Philippines that I've heard about you know all of those uh, uh, the Philippine people accepting Christ, and it's just this revival happens. You know, it's exciting times to hear the stories and get to live those stories through you. And we're going to talk about some of those stories, but but really today's about uh, this book, Free Grace Soteriology. Um, it is a textbook. It's it's not a uh, it's not a Bible study per se. It's a it's a textbook.
0: Not de- it's, not devotional reading. It's not devotional <laughs>
1: reading, is correct. And I think I'm on. You said version one. You have version three out, which has a couple of more chapters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was I was preparing for this, and I was looking through some of my notes and some of my underline. You know, I'm I always like to underline and highlight and do all the things to to kind of help me remember. Um, and I remember so many things about the study of this. Uh, and I'm excited about doing this, this part because really. What I want to do is is talk about just from a conversational standpoint, talk about what is salvation, because as you go through Scripture, you know salvation here may mean something different here, and it's about the context. It's about the context of the Scripture around it. Um, and I think you taught me this, uh, Dave. And and forgive me, I'll call you Dave, but Dr. please Anderson.
0: do. Being from Tennessee, some people call me Bubba.
1: Bubba, I can do Bubba. You know, and My I,
0: wife calls me Hubba Bubba.
1: Hubba Bubba. Betty, I could see Betty doing that.
0: But if you want to show more respect, you can call me Abba Bubba. Abba Bubba. Abba.
1: Okay. Abba. <laughs> uh, Father Bubba. Oh, I love it. <laughs> one of the things that I remember learning in one of your classes, and I don't remember which one it was, but the Bible's like a spider web, and everything is connected to everything else. And so you can't take this little section of the spider web out Without understanding the context of the rest of the web,
0: I like it more to a spreadsheet. Spreadsheet. Okay. If you change one column, it may affect other columns.
1: Mm. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Excel is uh, one of my favorite tools to use. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can I can see that analogy. Um, and as we talk about salvation today, and I've got some scripture references and things like that that we'll we'll kind of talk through. But um, let's talk about the meaning of the word salvation. And it's, you know, two. You got sozo and soteria, which I'm going to use my pronunciation because it's redneck version. <laughs> but I'm sure that you'll have a different version. Uh, but I, I want to talk about those two words. If you could just kind of elaborate.
0: Well, one's a noun, one's a verb. Mm-hmm. Soteria just means savior. Yep. That's a noun, obviously. Mm-hmm. And sozo means to save. It's a verb. Right. And they're used, you know, over a hundred times in scripture. And again, as you said, context is king.
1: Context is king. Like for example,
0: uh, how many uses can you think of off the top of your head for the word trunk? What do you think of?
1: Oh, gosh. Trunk of your car. Okay. Trunk of uh, like a carry and yep. travel transportation. Um, trunk. Trunk of an elephant. Trunk of go. a tree.
0: Yeah. Say, so, yeah, as you go from context to context, <coughs> it's the same word. But it has different meaning, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's the same with all words. Right. And especially is true of uh, Soteria and Sozo. And so uh, y- your broad context, you might say Roman number one and Roman number two is physical salvation and then spiritual salvation. So you have to make that distinction first That's of right. all. So a physical salvation would be like when Peter's sinking and he says, Lord, save me. you know, Right. Uh, or the disciples, same thing. I see of Galilee they're in danger of drowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, mm-hmm. he touches his garment, he feels power leave, leaving him. And the translations use the word made whole, and some would say healed, but it's the same Greek verb, sozo. Mm-hmm. And so in that context, it's a physical healing. Uh, but then when you get into some, the spiritual side, over in Matthew 1, uh, it talks about Jesus is going to save people from their sins. Mm-hmm. Well, that's obviously s- spiritual. It's not right. It's not physical. And so, so when most people, I think, in the West hear the word maybe all over the world, but when they hear the word saved or salvation, they think it's talking about going to heaven. Uh, that's not, uh, when you take all the uses together, that's not the majority use. Uh, and even within the spiritual side, There are different meanings to salvation for example we talk about salvation from the penalty of sin that's what we call justification that's when all your sins are forgiven past present and future the moment you put your faith in the lord jesus christ as your savior but that doesn't mean we're finished with the word saved it's also used we're being saved from the power of sin Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and that's talking about in your daily life it's the struggle we have with our sinful nature and the book of romans is written specifically to help us be saved from the power of sin that's what we used to call sanctification but ultimately uh praise the lord we won't have a sin nature anymore when he comes mm-hmm. we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is that's when he takes our sinful nature away and uh, that is what we call a salvation from the presence of sin or glorification so salvation from the penalty of sin justification Salvation from the power of sins, sanctification, salvation from the presence of sin, glorification. So, justification, sanctification, glorification. You know,
1: I like how you. I mean, it's just I get so excited about listening to you talk when I think about the justification piece and 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 how that's, that's that moment in time. You know, in the sanctification, that 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 maturing process. Mm-hmm. And you think about the glorification, which is really exciting, uh, because we'll be in that glorified state, that that no more pain, no more uh, struggles, you know. And, and you know, <clears throat> I talk about being, you know, in this, one of the questions is, are, are we really an image of God? And I think about all the different, you know, if you look across the whole world, there's so many differences, and nobody really looks alike. I mean, there's always saying that there's somebody out there that looks just like you, but... When you look across everybody's different. But to be in the image of God, tell me tell me what your thoughts are of being in the image of God. Is it internal? Is it external? Is it physical characteristics? What what does that mean, being in the image of God?
0: Uh Skip, I think it deals more with our suke okay. than anything else.
1: The, the, the tri- the, yeah,
0: you know, you've got you know. uh, verse first five says we have we're tripart beings, mm-hmm. meaning we're body, soul, and spirit. Yep. And there is a distinction between the soul and the spirit. Uh, Hebrews 4 talks about the Word of God is able to penetrate to that difference. Mm-hmm. All right, So we usually think of the Spirit as the innermost part of man, and that's where the Holy Spirit would come to live in Jesus, once we trust Him as Savior. Outside of that, you have the suke. psychology. It comes from that study of the soul. but It's made up of the mi- uh, mind, emotion, and will, those three things. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, we have our fleshly body, our physical body. So those are the three parts. Yeah, All right. yeah. But, uh, you know, animals have that, too. Uh, nephish uh, is, is the word for soul in the Old Testament. And uh, it says in Genesis, God gave nephish to the animals. So, But there's something unique about the human being being made in the image of God. So we talk about a mind that can interact with spiritual things. Well, my dog doesn't have that, Mm-mm. you know, and, and and emotions that can love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My dog doesn't have that either. And uh, a will that can obey God. Well, I, or I guess, a will that can disobey uh, God. Yeah, and, uh, rebel or comply. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think the image of God, uh, uh, first of all, let me say, I think it's a bit of a mystery. And there are spiritual things like the Trinity that I think you can take the smartest people on earth. They'll never really figure it out. Uh, we can make uh, illustrations like H2O being steam or water or ice, but all those illustrations fall short somewhere. At any rate, I think God so made us uh, in his image that we can uh, worship him, we can obey him, we can love him, we uh, interact with him. We can, as the Holy Spirit illumines us, we can understand him mm-hmm. some some degree, some extent. So that's all unique of the human being.
1: Yeah, because it's, uh, you're right, it's, uh, understanding having that head knowledge, but also having that heart knowledge, um, and understanding who he is, uh, but then pulling it back to salvation is you know, what is salvation, and we we've kind of gone over that, and it it's really based on the context. You know, you've got to mm-hmm. pull that word out and know the context. Right. Um, wh- why do you why do you think we need salvation as the human race?
0: Well, uh, it gets back to what we call the meta narrative of Scripture. Not a narrative is just a way of saying, "Here's, here's the overarching story. Here's the reason. Here's the reason for our being. Here's mm-hmm. why we were created." And we think uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 portray a conflict between God and Satan. Now, Satan used to be Lucifer. Mm-hmm. He rebels against God in his pride, thinks that he can rule the universe better than God can. Right. Right. So he's cast down to planet Earth before the creation of man with a third of the host of heaven, which are the fallen angels. And uh, down here, uh, God comes along and says, okay, you've challenged me on two fronts. You've challenged my sovereignty, who has the right to rule the universe. You've challenged my love. Am I worthy of being obeyed and worshiped? I'm going to answer those two big questions by creating a being not as powerful as the angels, not as smart as the angels, not as mobile as the angels, dependent on physical things like oxygen and nitrogen, which the angels are not. And I'm not going to reveal as much of myself to this new creature as I revealed to you, Lucifer, and the fallen angels. But I'm saying that I will reveal enough that this new creature will choose to love and obey me before you. Mm. And so the story of the Bible is the answer to those two questions. It culminates in what we call the millennial period, the thousand-year reign of Christ, where finally those questions of sovereignty and love are answered once and for all. You know,
1: it's uh, I, I'm listening; as I get excited. You know, it, because when someone asks me what's what's the purpose, <clears throat> you know, and, and look, I'm a believer, I, I'm I, I'm a follower of Christ, I am imperfect sinner though, okay, and so I make mistakes just like everybody else does. But the one thing that I I do know. Is that I believe God created all of us to glorify Him, mm-hmm. to follow Him, and have our free will. We have our choice. Some will choose where they spend eternity. All, all will choose where they spend eternity, but some will choose where they spend it either with with God or with Lucifer or in hell. So I think about those kind of things, and you know I'm I'm paraphrasing the redneck version of this, but <laughs> but the reality is is that we are created to glorify Him. That's our whole purpose. And and as I learned and I kind of worked through that and began to understand that, I was like, oh, wow. All this other stuff is just noise. Mm-hmm. The world is just noise. Uh, the distractions are just noise. You know, the whole purpose in this type of dialogue here is to get the message out that you have the chance to choose.
0: Yeah, and that's an important point, Skip, because... Uh A lot of Christians, or even other religions, want to retreat from the world Mm -hmm. and want to get away from the world because they feel the world, with its uh, values, its immorality, pulls them down. But in reality, Christ sent us into the world Mm -hmm. to make a difference, to help redeem the world and to redeem other human beings to an eternal relationship with him. So rather than running from the world were to be in the world without being of the world as as Jesus put it prayed for his disciples. You you make a good point because I have talked to and I have
1: said many times man I'd like to liquidate everything go get me a little farm build yeah. me a little log cabin right. and get away from the world but yeah. that's not what God has called us to do. And and I feel like I he has blessed me and given me a voice in certain areas that I have to use those talents. Mm-hmm. Um, however however I can. And you're right, I, as much as I want to say I want to run to the woods and have my farm and all that stuff, that's not who I am.
0: Well, you know, I would love to have a nest in the West where I can rest with the best.
1: <laughs> but say say that again.
0: <laughs> but S- Say that uh,
1: again. That's good. Nest in the West so I can rest with the best. There you go. Okay.
0: Uh, but God's will involves people. Mm-hmm. There are only two things he takes off the planet that will exist forever. One is his word. His word will abide forever. Amen. Two are people. Mm-hmm. So if I can invest His Word into people, that's the most significant thing I can do. Wow. But going off to this little cabin in the woods, which really has appealed to me, mm. uh, would take me away from people. Yeah, and that's. Uh,
1: and and you know, Dave, I want to say something that I think is, and I, I don't need to say, but a lot of our audience doesn't know really who you are. And I have met so many people. In fact, I met someone today at lunch that you've impacted, uh, Jim and Joe, right? I met them today. And and I I have met so many people that you have invested in, and that's the key because it is an investment. It's an investment in the Word of God into people, and you mentor them, and you guide them, and you just show your passion for God's Word into them. Same thing you did to me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, you know, I go back to 04, what we were talking about today, when I was struggling, and you were my pastor uh, at Faith Community Church. And I said, hey, can I come see you after church today? And you said, absolutely. Now, you didn't know me from Adam. I'd never met you. We'd only been at that church a short time.
0: But yeah. I knew you had a motorcycle. I did have a motorcycle. And so I That's said, right. this guy can't be all bad.
1: I can't be all bad. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a loud motorcycle, too. But, um, you know, I remember... You being such an amazing, compassionate pastor, but also a fantastic teacher in the pulpit. And so you have pastor, preacher, teacher, and sometimes you don't get all three, okay? But with you, we got all three. And then you poured into me that struggle, that time, that, that difficulty I was having. And, you know, we I'm sure we, we talked about a lot of things. I know we talked probably motorcycles that day. Uh, because that's kind of a commonality between us. Um, but, you know, you have impacted so many people around the world, really, if you think about it, between the seminary and you preaching and you teaching mm-hmm. all around the world. Um, it's, it's very exciting when you get an opportunity to have you here and listen to that dialogue. And, and when you think about salvation, it's the foundation if we don't get excited about it, if we don't get hungry about teaching and preaching the word of God in a way that people understand the importance and significance of salvation, then why is the church here?
0: Exactly. And actually, I, I guess I didn't finish your question. You said, why do we need it? Well, why do we need it? that's because Lucifer introduced sin into the human race mm. as he tempts Adam and Eve and they fall. Mm. And that, uh, being put out of the garden and made a constitutional change in Adam and Eve and such that they were now mortal. They were going to experience physical death, but they're also separated from God for the first time when they sin, because God really can't fellowship with sin. So uh, he comes looking for them. Where are you? And Why is your countenance fallen, all these things? But man then had to be reconciled to God. That's right. And, of course, God made the way that to happen it makes the way for every person to be reconciled to himself and that's really through faith yeah that we would believe his promises and especially as we learn about christ that we would learn uh, what he's done for us to take our sins away Mm -hmm. and that's how we're reconciled to god
1: i think about that moment or that study of the garden of eden and you know i'm a very visual person you know i as i'm reading it's almost like i play a movie in my head of what this is going to look like and I think about how beautiful the garden is and and all the things that Adam and Eve are, are supposed to be doing that God has called them to do to lead and manage basically the the animals and the take care basically take care of the garden and they get distracted. And they get distracted and they sin and they fall away from God. And in my mind in my my mind's eye I look at it from a perspective of it's like the Grand Canyon. God is on one side and man Adam and Eve are on the other side. And that sin, that cavity, that that canyon between them is the sin. And, you know, it's always, there's one thing that can make the bridge work. And obviously, you know, repentance and understanding your sin and then, and then God's forgiveness, which is that free gift, which we're going to talk about too. I think about how powerful that is. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. But it's this free gift it's that free grace um, which is really the premise of grace school of theology is that free grace piece um i think about you know god knew he's he's omnipotent right he, he knew what was going to happen he's going through the garden he's looking for them they're not there because they're hiding and why were they hiding because they had they've been exposed to sin so you're right. I like how you said the constitution of them, they're they're everything changed because of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that first sacrifice. If you think about what did God do, because they were naked, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, you know, what did He have to do? They were embarrassed because they were naked. And so, what does God do for them?
0: Makes clothes. Makes <laughs> clothes. Well, how does
1: He make clothes?
0: <laughs> Through death. Through death. Yeah.
1: Through the shedding of blood, mm-hmm. which is the greatest example of what is going to be a foreshadow of what's going to happen. Because we're going to have to have that sacrifice in the future for mankind again. It's just, I don't know, it's just this beautiful story um, about redemption. And he's hes the only way. But anyway, I digress off of that. I just get excited about it.
0: Uh, There's also a story it. about um, clothing, if, if, you, if you will. Okay. See, they didn't know they were naked. Mm. And because they were surrounded by what I think it's called in 2 Thessalonians 5, an okaterion. That's a Greek word for covering a clothing that had come upon them. And I think it uh, had a resplendent glory with it, such that it enabled them to live eternally had they not sinned. But when they sinned, it was taken away, and that's when they saw their naked. But in Second Corinthians five, it says that physical death for a believer, that okay okatarion comes back upon them, and uh, which is the mortality eternity is, peace is in heaven, clothing. Okay, the uh, it's help, what what helps makes our glorified body, and then allows us to <clears throat> live eternally again.
1: You know, I think about glorified body, and <clears throat> uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. But w- one of the things you know, we talk about being made in the image of God, and I, look, I have a face for radio. Okay, obviously not the camera. But being in a glorified state, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm probably going to be, you know, 6'2", uh, dark-headed, you know, brilliant like you, right, great athlete, which I'm not. Um, you know, I think about all those things, but that's really not what God is looking for. He's looking for somebody who's a warrior for him in spreading the gospel, a warrior for him in
0: serving other people. Yeah, I'm glad you hit that because— um uh, even some of the things you've said about me, uh, if we get into the comparison game, we can start talking about uh, luminaries in the Christian world that have done a thousand times more than I have. So to me, it's not uh, what you accomplish, it's what you become. Mm. And, uh, and, it, and, and even when it comes to doing things, uh, a lot of people think, well, I can't go out and preach to 100,000 people like Billy Graham. So I'll just sit on the sidelines. He's he always elevated the little thing. A cup of water in his name. Yeah. The widow's mites, you know. He immortalized those little things. And I think we can all do little things. They may be little in the eyes of man, but they may be gigantic in the eyes of God.
1: Wow. I mean, what a powerful, <laughs> powerful statement. I think about the um, the widow woman that didn't have very much money. That's she, gave his all, yeah. she gave all that she had. Well, think and
0: about Jesus. Uh, it's 13 hours before he's on the cross. What's he doing? You think, well, he's probably moving a mountain or he's healing uh, someone. He's raising someone from the dead. What's he doing? He's praying. He's washing dirty feet.
1: Oh, yes, at the in the upper room. That's
0: right. Yeah. That's right. A little thing. And he
1: knows. And he knows what's about to happen.
0: A little yeah. thing. It's a little thing. But he's trying to teach them not only to have a clean heart, Right to have a humble heart, and he's answering that question, who is the greatest? Mm-hmm. And the greatest among you is the servant of all who's willing to do the smallest task out of the motive of love.
1: Mm. You know, uh, Peter, of course, um, kind of rebuking and saying, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Well, well, his answer was pretty profound. It was like, if I can't wash your feet, you don't belong to me kind of thing. And, uh, of course, Peter, you know, moving on, denies Christ, and, and goes through probably the deepest, darkest valley, right? And then comes out on the other side, and look what he accomplished. Um, think about from a, if you can explain a little bit, people go through their whole life, <clears throat> 12 years old, um, I get saved and baptized, right? And then they question or doubt that salvation throughout their life and it it's happened to people in my family it's from time to time it's even probably happened to me and and I'm just like okay am I really saved am I really am I eternally belong to him which is the question how would you answer someone who came into your office and said Dave I just feel like I'm struggling I don't know if I'm saved or not. how would you how <laughs> you would know you
0: one know of what the first you, things I tell them what's that only Christians doubt their salvation <laughs> <laughs> you know, unbelievers either get mad at you for even talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh or they just well, I've always believed, you know? mm-hmm. they're just totally convinced that yeah. you know, they're uh born again and in God's family. Yeah. They don't sit around in doubt. Christians sit around in doubt. However, having said that, I take them to the promises of God because that's, you know, first John 5, that's why he wrote it, for yeah. those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know mm-hmm. I usually will have them read that, yeah. And I'll look off to the side and get to the word "no," and I say, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! Didn't that say hope?" They look at it and say, "No, it says no, I, no, no, no. Didn't it? Didn't it say wish?" Yeah. And they finally get the point. No, it says that you might know that you have eternal life. Well, that's based on that promise. You either yeah. believe it or you don't. If you sit around and base your assurance on the uh, fruit of your life or the experiences you have in life, you'll always be on shaky ground because it says, let him who think he stands take heed lest he fall. And when he falls, he'll be producing rotten fruit. Well, is that going to determine whether he's a believer or not? We all fall.
1: We all stumble, right?
0: And so then you get in this uh, sea of subjectivity on, well, how serious was the fall? Mm -hmm. What, What sins am I committing? Have I cross the line and all that kind of stuff.
1: And what is the line? Yeah, what is the line? Yeah, what is the line? Romans 10.10, well, 10, I think it is is, is, is a good one, right? Um, talking about confessing. Um, it, I think it was talking about confessing with your mouth. Mm-hmm. Let's confess with our mouth. And that's that physical action. Um, tie that back to what you just talked about in the know. Uh, know that you have eternal life. You confess with your mouth that's part of that humbleness, part of that acceptance or, or belief?
0: Well, there's a lot of debate on Romans kay. 10, 9, and 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been used for years as part of what people call the Roman road. Mm-hmm. It's used by evangelists. To I say grew yeah.
1: up. Southern Baptist church, Roman yeah. road to salvation, yeah. right?
0: It's used by evangelists to say you have to confess with your mouth or you won't go to heaven. But uh, the, uh, the interesting part of all that is when you look at the word saved, it's first used in the book of Romans in chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Now, chapter 5 is long after he's left the section on justification. And justification at a point in time is what gives us a new standing before God. Uh, He credits us with the perfect life of Christ, but he removes all the sin we ever have or will commit. And uh, by doing that, we are justified or declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. Now, in Romans 10, he says, uh, with the heart, one believes unto justification. One believes unto righteousness. That means belief is what gives you this righteousness. And if you have that righteousness, you'll die and go to heaven. But he goes on to say, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He said, well, wait a minute. That that doesn't seem right. If you... If you Just believe in your heart, you have justification. What's this salvation stuff talking about? Well, it goes back to chapter five. It's not talking about salvation from the penalty of sin, it's talking about salvation from the power of sin. Mm. And that's what Which is
1: the sanctification. Yes. Yes.
0: It's about sanctification. He finished justification (laughs) in chapter four. Mm -hmm. He says in chapter five, verse one, having therefore now been justified, have been justified justified past that's tense past tense have been yeah. justified yeah. we now have present tense peace and he goes through several other things that we have right now but the point is when he gets to verse 9 and 10 he says you've been justified but not yet saved in verse that's verse 9 in verse 10 he says you've been reconciled but not yet saved what's he mean you haven't been sanctified yet. yeah that's right that's what he's talking about yeah. so when you get to chapter Which 10 goes back to
1: working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process.
0: Sanctification. Sanctification,
1: not justification. That's the moment in time.
0: But part of the the process of sanctification is to openly identify with Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the best way to do that is water baptism. But another way to do it is just, in that water baptism, you confess with your mouth. I believe in him. He's my Savior. I want to identify with him. I want to live for him. That is a step towards sanctification. It has nothing whatsoever to do with justification.
1: Well, you you bring up a good point, and and I've heard this before, and but I'm gonna I'm gonna share this story. I've heard this before that, um, you know, I asked somebody, I said, well, tell me about your salvation experience. Tell me tell me what that looked like. How did it happen? When did it happen? Oh, I was baptized back then. And and what they need to understand is baptism doesn't save you. That's that's just an act of public profession of your faith so it's being obedient that you know you to be saved and then baptized like john the baptist uh, was talking about but but that moment in time that justification piece where you recognize you're a sinner and you you accept christ and i think about the there was a, a man that is very very impactful was on the back of the bus when he was a kid and uh back of the bus and he's he's crying out to God without a without a voice but but in his mind. And so go back to Romans 10:10 10, 10, and you're right. Com- you don't have to confess with your mouth. You can you can talk to God in your mind. But that that 14-year-old boy, I believe it was on the back of the bus, that accepted Christ that has now transformed and changed probably hundreds of thousands of lives. And you know who that was, don't you? <laughs> but but think about right? You don't have to be in a church service. You don't have to be. I, I know one of my really dear friends, and I won't mention his name here, but I asked him about his salvation experience. He said, "I was in the barn. I was working cows, and I was in the barn." He's a grown man. You know, he was in his forties when he accepted Christ, and he said, "I cried out to God, and God heard." Me. And you think about that process of how him going through in his 40s and crying out to god because he wanted to make sure he got it right and and here's how that conversation started he was going to join the church and you know a lot of churches do this our church that we we started and and worked with in montgomery you went through a a new believers class or a new members class i'm sorry not new believers new members class and so it's asking those pertinent questions you know tell me about your salvation experience when did that happen and so he goes home and he says, Look, like, hey, I don't. I've been going to church my whole life, but I don't think I've ever gone through that. And he was out in his barn and he was wrestling with it. And he cried out to God and he accepted Christ right there in his barn. Guess what? The only people around was the cows. <laughs> They're the only ones that that knew what was, you know, heard what he was saying. So I don't think it has to be in a congregation. I think you can be alone and you can accept Christ. But then you go through that, he did believers baptism was obedient and did that um so so there's this misconception with some people that oh i was baptized here or this age or whatever but the baptism is not what saves you and i think there's confusion on that can you can you break that down unpack that just a little bit of the the delineation between accepting and receiving christ and then the baptism and the baptism is not the saving part
0: well you know in in the uh time of the early church And the transition from Judaism to Christianity, perhaps the biggest issue was what to do with the law, Mm, the law and circumcision. And early on, some of the new believers thought the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to go to heaven, had to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. So Paul writes against that, like in the book of Galatians. Uh, He's trying to make it clear you don't have to do that. But what do we know about circumcision? Well, is it a physical act? Sure. Is there a physical means? Yes. Is there a physical agent? Yes. Is it physically observable? Yes. And it's considered to be a work? Mm-hmm. And Is painful. <laughs> Is baptism a physical act? Yes. Physical agent? Yes. Physical means? Yes. Physically observable? Yes. It's a work. It's a work. Right. Works don't save you. Well, that, that's that's the main thing that delineates it from something that saves us. As he says in Ephesians 2, that, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. not as works, lest any man should boast. Because mm-hmm. who could boast? He could have boasted if that was yeah. the way
1: it would be. Yeah. Which brings us to the very next question. This concept of free is so difficult for so many people mm-hmm. to understand. Unearned.
0: Yeah. Unearned. Yeah, I had a uh, guy from a family that owned a... Uh, funeral home uh, in Conroe, Texas, and he had gone to a, uh, a particular faith that taught him he had to earn his salvation. So we went through Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I came to the word gift, and I said, uh, we'll call this guy Bob. I said, well, Bob, what's the difference between a gift and a salary? He said, well, you work for a salary. I right, So whatever this is, you can't work for it, right? He said, right. What's the difference between a, a gift and a bribe? He so, said, well, on a bribe, you have to do something in return. So since this is a gift, you don't have to do anything in return, do you? You might want to, but you don't have to, right? What's the difference between a gift and a loan? Well, a loan isn't yours permanently. You have to pay it back. That's right. So this is a gift. So Amen. Pay the loans back. <laughs> so you don't have to pay this back, right? So I said, have you ever thought of salvation in those terms? Free gift, that differs from a salary, a loan, or a bribe, and he said no. So, what well, would you like to receive this free gift? And he did right there, and that was like 50 years ago. Wow! And he's he obviously never looked back.
1: Yeah, but but in that the most beautiful picture. I mean, <clears throat> and and look, Dave. If I get this wrong, I, I no harm, no foul. You get all over me, okay? But it's so simple. It's like knocking at the door. And you and you open it, he's there, he's waiting. It's free. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. I can't work for it, because if you do all those, it's not a gift. Then you have to take away free, and you got to take away gift. Free grace, so well, theology is about
0: I, free. I get lots of people ask me say, why do you call it free grace? Isn't by definition it isn't grace free? That's true. However, every denomination or slant on Christianity uses the word grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early church in, in the writings of some of its church fathers used grace more than we do today. Uh, but they also had some uh, strings attached to grace. Uh, you have to do this, this, and this in order to get this grace. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that wasn't the case. Yeah. So he's the one who stuck the word free in front of it. For example, the free gift. Dorea is the Greek word there. But that same word with one letter difference becomes an adverb in Revelation 21, when he says, whosoever thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life. You know what comes next? Freely. 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 So this word as an adverb or as a noun or an adjective is used uh, in Ephesians 2, it's used twice in Ephesians 3. It's used three times in Romans 12, Romans 5, 12 to the end of the chapter. And it's juxtaposed or put right next to uh, grace. Mm. So the Holy Spirit's the one who talks about free grace because he's trying to make sure we don't front-end load it or back-end load it. In other words, we don't have requirements on the front end to get this grace or we don't have requirements on the back end after we've received it to keep it. So that's ours. powerful because when you think about what you, the picture you just painted
1: is free grace is right here. Don't front end load it. Don't add all these requirements to get it because then you take away the free piece. Right. And on the back end, don't add all these things you have to do afterwards yeah. because you take away the free
0: piece. And you use the word have to see it's the difference between a have to life mm-hmm. and a thank you life. Mm-hmm. If you tell me I have to do this, In order to get something I want, I may do it, but it might turn into drudgery for me. Yeah, you give me a thank you life where I'm doing it as a volunteer, and it's not drudgery at all; it's a joy. Yeah, what's the difference between a joy and a job? Well, a joy and a job
1: is is with any career too. If you love what you do, it's not a job. Mm. You get up and you go to it every single day, and you know. I think we're all called to certain talents and and uh, gifts that we've been given. And we, we, I hope that we all try to find those, you know, I've done the gift test and all those kind of things. And, uh, by the way, I I disagree with some of them, but anyway, um, (laughs) just, just a joke. But the reality is, is that when we find something we love to do, it's no longer a, I have to, we get up every day and we we're excited to go to work every day and do what we do because it's kind of like a calling, um, and I just think about that picture you painted. Though, don't front end load it and don't back end load it. Right. It's free. Well, let's let's back up about fifteen minutes and we were talking about what is what does God say He's going to do? Satan Satan wants to destroy everything, and He says, "Look, you you want to take my authority here in heaven, and you want to take my love. So I'm going to create something, humans, that have a free choice to choose." And when given the free choice, they will choose me and love, right? So go back to the free. I mean, we're created to glorify God. If, if that's why we're created, then we, we should love to do it. We should love to serve. And therefore, it's not like a job. It's not a have to. So you don't have to back and load it. You do it because you love. And I, I think about parents um, and we've all we all are parents or, or have had parents and and I've always had challenges and you gave me a great analogy one time about parenting um, And it's the same thing as our relationship fellowship, which I love to talk about uh, Which you taught me by the way relationship and fellowship the relationship with Christ justification is set the moment you believe and accept Jesus Christ, okay? So that justification is there, the relationship's set. Just like when when my kids are born, okay, I'm their dad. Regardless of what happens, where they go in life, where I go in life, what I do, what they do, I'm still their dad. I belong to them, they belong to me. The same thing applies to Christ. I'm going to struggle. I promise you I cannot find it anywhere in Scripture that says the moment you become a believer all life becomes so easy after that. That's not really what, if, if it's in there, I can't find it. And right. I, you know, but but it's actually almost the opposite because sometimes we have to carry that cross and sometimes those burdens are heavy and they're difficult, but we do it because we love Christ and we continue to carry that cross. But But go back to that relationship and fellowship, justification. The fellowship part, which is going to be in our other show, that sanctification, that fellowship, that that uh, intimacy that you develop over maturing that relationship, I liken it to the same thing as a father and a child. You can't change that. You can't change it with Christ in you. You can't change it with a father and a child. It's still your child. They can fall out of fellowship with you. They can go do their own thing and go their own way, but you're still their dad. And that beautiful picture of, I belong to him, and I may stumble and fall, which I have done many times, um, and, and will continue to do. <laughs> I mean, it's not like tomorrow it's going to be all perfect because that's just not how it works, but I still belong to him. And that's that's where you can rest in knowing that you belong to him. You know, And I love that analogy that you taught us on relationship and fellowship. It's just a powerful, powerful analogy.
0: Um, Yeah, and if you get those confused, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's right. That's right. Like even in the uh, upper room there, when he comes to Peter, and Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, give me a whole bath. Yeah. Give me a sponge bath while you're at it, the Lord. Yeah. You know, he's so embarrassed, and he feels so guilty for not having done the work of the servant to wash his contemporaries' feet, you know. But when Jesus responds, he, he doesn't say, if you don't wash my feet, I don't have anything to do with you. He says, you don't need a bath. That's Luo. Mm-hmm. You need your feet washed. That's Nipto. Yeah. Luo's for relationship. Nipto's for fellowship. Ooh. Okay. So he's saying as you go through this world, even though you may have had your sins washed away, your justification, even your future sins, mm-hmm. you're still going to get your feet dirty. Yeah. So you need the daily cleansing for fellowship, Yeah. not for relationship.
1: You know, we, uh, my wife and I were part of this ministry, Um, South Louisiana. It's called Faith Walk, and it's similar to Walk to Emmaus and some other things like that. Very, very powerful ministry in South Louisiana. Uh, It was based out of Lake Charles, and um, we had gone to one of the weekends. I had gone to one of the weekends, and um, one of the most, I think, humbling things for me uh, going through that was learning about things that I needed to deal with, Okay. So as you know, believers and and you know you got pre-believer and then you got post-believer and all the things that happen you know post becoming a believer and you know sometimes we we just blanket um, and I'm kind of getting personal here but we just kind of blanket asking forgiveness right. One of the things I learned was to be very specific, um, very very specific because forgiveness is for us, you know, it's really for us to to cleanse ourselves to 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 prepare our hearts to to get rid of that separation from God. But the other thing that I did and I learned through that that weekend was I needed to wash my wife's feet. And in doing that No, you're going too far now. I I know what you said. I can't believe you said that. But in doing so, it it allowed me to express my love and my service to my spouse. Now Look, I would love to tell everybody, you know, wants to say, "Oh, you got this great marriage," and look, we've gone through some serious struggles, just like any other marriage. But, be, but keeping things in perspective, that God is in the center, and He is the focus. So, if we're if we're constantly looking at ourselves in the mirror, we can't see where God wants us to be. But if we constantly look at God in our marriage, then then we get we don't get so distracted about the things outside, and, um, and and I'm not encouraging someone to just go wash their wife's feet. What I'm saying is it's the humbleness that you were talking about with Jesus serving his disciples by washing their feet, knowing full well just a few hours later he'd be on the cross. It's the little things going back to the little things that you talked about. Yep, um, and that's a powerful picture of him in the upper room. And, and who, I mean, he washed everybody's feet, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Even the one that betrayed him. Yep. I mean, in your description, what do you think he was going through in his mind knowing he's washing Judas's
0: feet? I have no idea.
1: I mean, it's got to <laughs> be just this thing that's like, oh. But you know what? He loved him anyway. It's not that he didn't. Right. Um, Peter, being the rebellion one that he is, um, he still loved Peter. You know, didn't need a whole bath; just need to clean off some of the dirt. You know? Um, one of the things that you have in your book, and I put it in here, but um, we talk about free grace. We covered some of that stuff, but you you made some analogies on something that I found to be very interesting, and and these phrases are the I would call them not a dichotomy, but but a contradiction, and uh, made righteous rather than declared righteous talk a little bit about that
0: well uh augustine the one who translated dick has made righteous mm-hmm. and he, augustine is you want Augustine wanna- was a uh, a guy who died in 431 a.d and many people thought he was the greatest of the church father he certainly wrote the most and he's very famous for The City of God, and things like that. But uh, he wrote a lot of doctrinal stuff as well that became the mainstay of church centuries. And uh, one of them dealt with uh, Dick guy on what does it mean. So he decided it meant a change of character, uh, specifically by infusions of the character of Christ. Every time you took Mass, you got an infusion of his character. And slowly over time... If you become enough like Christ you get to go to heaven Mm. when you die if you don't but you're still a believer and still uh, in the process then you go to purgatory stay there for a while and of course they began using purgatory as a way of raising funds for the church and for the wars and things that uh, the Emperor was engaged in Mm. and so um, the Reformation comes along with Martin Luther and Zwingli and John Calvin, and Melanchthon, who was the tutor of Luther in Greek and Hebrew, said, wait a minute, this doesn't mean to be made righteous. This isn't about a change in your character. It's about a change in your standing before God. The so, right standing before God. Yeah, so in the courtroom, uh, God's gavel comes down, he declares you righteous. All right, so that became the rallying cry of Protestants for the last few centuries. Mm. and that the main difference between uh, Roman Catholicism and Protestantism is their understanding of this word dikio. one says it happens in a courtroom at a moment in time the other says it you no, know, it's over your whole life after water baptism as an infant you're being made like Christ
1: so the one on the left hand would be justification mm. the other one would be sanctification
0: well uh, According to Protestants, it would be, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not according to Catholics. That other one is justification. I think it means uh, okay over the decades of your life, you're being made in your character more and more like Christ, and you get to go to heaven if you are enough like Christ at the end of your life.
1: Mm. Okay. So that's so a hu- huge difference. Understanding the difference is very, very important.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when the uh, formers came out with that, what's called the Council of Trent formed Mm -hmm, in 1545. And they said, if you teach the people this justification in heaven, where all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, then they'll go out and live like hell. Mm -hmm. So Calvin spent uh, uh, much of the rest of his life trying to answer those objections from the Council of Trent. In fact, his first edition of his Institutes had six chapters. When he finished in 1559, he had 80 chapters, mm. and a lot of that was a response to the Council of Trent and their accusations of easy believism yeah, and free grace and all that stuff mm-hmm. that the uh, Reformers were initially teaching.
1: So, and one of the next ones was instantaneous versus process, which is justification versus sanctification.
0: In our our, in, in our, 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 view, in our eyes. Yeah, but uh, in the Catholic view, the process is the justification.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Same as the previous.
1: Yeah, made versus declared. Right. Yeah. Okay. Faith alone or faith plus works?
0: Well, uh, the Protestant views initially was faith alone, and that was one of the rallying cries of the early Reformation. The pressure from the Council of Trent caused some of these groups to remarry sanctification and justification. So, mm. if you're not sanctified, they would say you never were justified. Or okay. flipping it around, if you've been justified, then it's guaranteed you will be sanctified. And many okay. of us disagree with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the one of the other ones is forensic versus ex- is existential. Yes. Thank you. See, well, that Well, forensic right.
0: means courtroom. Mm-hmm. There's a TV mm-hmm. show called Forensic Files. Right. Right. About courtroom stuff. And uh, existentialism is knowledge by experience it's mm-hmm. your what you've experienced in life so i
1: br- i bring all that up to ask this question <clears throat> jesus on the cross there's a guy next to him um guy doesn't believe he should be up there the other guys chastising him if you're if you're really the christ take yourself down off his cross the guy on the other side says leave him alone leave him alone you know i'm paraphrasing right um, and he said, I believe you shouldn't be here. Jesus says, what does he say? He says, well, today you'll be with me in paradise. So go back to made righteous versus declared righteous. That guy on the cross didn't have the lifelong sanctification. He had justification. Next one is instantaneous versus process. He didn't have a chance to have a process. It was instantaneous. For Faith alone or faith of works? There was no more works
0: that he could do on the
1: cross. Um, and then forensic versus existential. Say it again for me.
0: Existential? Yeah.
1: I can't say it. I don't know why. I just can't <laughs> say it. But the reality is, is the guy on the cross was a moment in time. And Jesus declared, you'll be with me today in, in paradise. Right. So, so doesn't that, how do they reconcile that? thinking that you have to go through a lifelong process of of works or fruit to be able to receive eternal salvation?
0: Well, they start off with what's called the baptism of desire. Okay. And they're essentially saying the thief wanted to get to the water. He had the desire, but he couldn't get off the cross to get there. Mm. So he's credited with the baptism of desire. Then he's not held accountable for something that, that would occur after his death. Obviously, can't have a life long de- of decades to become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. So he would be accepted by God where he is with his baptism of desire.
1: You know, I think about the recap, just salvation and what does it mean and why do we need it? You know, uh, and I go back to your statement. It was really, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect you to come out with that, but that we were created to glorify God. Um, even even those non-believers still want to worship something they'll worship the world um people sometimes some people worship money some people worship drugs um and in in reality is that we're we're designed and made to worship and glorify something and you know I think about um Job and and think about the what I would call the uh petition for satan to to take job and and do whatever he wanted to with and god said no you could do all, you know all these things but you can't take his life and yet he stayed steadfast um you know our salvation is is locked in you know as believers in christ we're locked in we're uh we're, we're in the concrete call it okay just for an analogy right um but the beauty of dirt road to success is that that is the sanctification process. It's following that dirt road through your walk in your faith and growing and maturing. And there's going to be dips and valleys. There's going to be potholes. Um, you know, I I I had the analogy once that out of every one mile in a dirt road, there's two miles of ditches, mm-hmm. and I seem to find a lot of ditch sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the greatest thing that we have is our assurance and salvation. We know. Where we're going to be for eternity, and the journey is tough. Nobody ever said it wasn't going to it wasn't going to be tough. Um, it's not easy. But when I think about you know you just discussing some of these things on salvation and looking forward to our our future show on sanctification and really the the power of the penalty of sin and the price that was paid on the cross because I really want to dig into that. Um, and then it, it sounds like we need to do one on glorification. Um, Could be. I mean, and really dig into that that aspect of it. Um, if you were going to summarize salvation for somebody listening um, that 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 have listened to this whole show and like, man, I'm still confused. You wanted to summarize it in a let's call it a you know junior high
0: level. I, I'd go back to those three tenses of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't harp on the physical side, being mm-hmm. saved from physical death or disease. Yeah. But I'd get into the spiritual side. Spiritual side. And okay. that there's salvation from the penalty, mm-hmm. from the power, and the presence of sin. Penalty. One's justification, one's sanctification, the other's glorification. I, I I have found through the years that that threefold breakdown is not hard to follow. Yeah. People can understand it. Yeah. Uh, the real confusion comes when people start putting the requirements for sanctification in front of justification. Mm, yeah. The front end loading. Right. Or even the back-end loading. Yeah. That's that's when everything gets muddled.
1: And that's a great analogy that people can understand. Don't front-end load. There's no requirements. You take away free if you front-end load it. You take away free if you back-end load it. Exactly. You, you mess up the whole design of free grace salvation. Mm-hmm. You, you just you lost it all when you had to front-end or back-end load it.
0: When I was in seminary, one of my professors said, if you're not accused of easy believism, you're not preaching Paul's gospel. Mm. Because that's exactly what he was accused of in yeah. Romans 6. Yeah. You know, he just said you can't outsend God's grace. Yeah. And so the objector, imaginary objector says, well, I should go send some more then because he'll get more glory. <laughs> and the guy, you know, the response is, of course, that's idiotic. Megan it shall never be. Uh, and he goes on to explain why you shouldn't send more in the next. 14 verses.
1: You know, I I think about what you just said, and I go back to the deal. It it is very simple. And and sometimes the challenge, Dave, is is people believe if it's free, it must not be worth it. Yeah. Or if it's that simple, must, something must be wrong. Right. But but that's not true. The greatest gift of all is both free and simple. Oh, I stand at the door and knock. It's that simple. Open the door. Um, I'm going to close out a couple things. One, I want to talk about Grace School of Theology um, and the the impact it's made on me. And if you guys get a chance uh, that are that are watching, um, just just go onto the website. Grace School of Theology It's located in the Woodland, Texas, where the main office is, but it's. It's like Dave said, 135 countries. Um, I mean, you, it, it's, it's all over the world. So no matter where you're looking, if you have Internet or you have the ability to get on the web, just go check out Grace School of Theology. Um, there, are, there are multiple types of classes that you can take uh, that will help you understand and learn from an expository standpoint of how to break down Scripture, to study Scripture, uh, to understand Scripture, uh, uh with all the tools that are available um credited and non-credited classes um uh, so you don't have to you don't have to work towards a degree but you can take some classes just to learn how to do systematic theology or to to take a book on soteriology take that class on soteriology but um just take an opportunity there for me in the in the few classes that I took changed the way I viewed the Bible it really did. But more importantly was my first trip to Israel with the seminary,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where, where it really took the Bible, um, and I know it's God-breathed, but it breathed an extra special <laughs> life for me because now yeah. I'm saying, okay, wait a minute. This is where this is. And, you know, we went this past year. We went on another trip, a, a two-week trip, uh-huh. uh, Israel and Egypt. So we got to see Egypt also. The first trip was like drinking from a fire hydrant on full blast mm-hmm. because you're almost overstimulated because you're it's, it's just like a waterfall of information. The second trip, I didn't take any notes. I didn't take a lot of pictures other than when we went to Egypt because I got a chance to step back and actually absorb mm-hmm. what I was seeing. Um, and so what I would say is, you know, Grace School of Theology, not only do you get to learn, but you get an opportunity. I'm sure you guys are doing trips every year. Maybe not right now, but, but those trips will be coming back up. Uh, but if, if you get a chance to go to Israel after this conflict is over and and you get a chance to tour, I highly recommend it. Um, it, it It is dynamically the most profound thing that I've ever have done related to Scripture because I actually get to see where Scripture was written, you know the things that happened, and you get to experience it. So, uh, Grace School of Theology, uh, do you want to give them the website?
0: Well, all they have to do is just Google Grace School just, of Theology, okay. and they'll, they'll okay. be there.
1: Yeah, in the Woodlands, um, just go check it out. I highly recommend you. And if you want to make donations to the school, as uh, Dave mentioned earlier, there's students all over the world, um, and of course they're economically uh, priced in accordance with where the market is. So. Uh, Great great opportunity to donate and to uh, give to a ministry that is impacting uh, people globally. Um, And so great opportunity there. Uh, The next thing I want to do is, uh, if, if you're okay with it, Dave, I'd love for you to do the prayer of salvation. So there may be some people watching this that have never done the prayer of salvation and maybe still on that fence of, well, yeah, I was baptized when, but but they truly never had that justification. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to do that for
0: us? Yeah, sure. But as we do this, I'd just like to emphasize John one twelve, where it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Mm-hmm. Well, who's received him? It says, even those who believe in his name. Mm-hmm. But the idea of reception is a good one because uh, even though I might offer you a free gift, you still have to receive it.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. Same as the door knocking. You still got to yeah. open it.
0: I may, uh, you may be a missionary, and you need a new car. I've got the money. I buy the car. I come to you and say, "Skip, here's, here's the car." Well, I'm not holding a car in my hands. I'm holding the keys. Yeah. And you still have to do something. Yeah. You, gotta grab you have to choose to get the keys. Yeah. Now you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. It's a hundred percent free gift. But you got to receive it. You got to receive it. So this prayer that we'll we'll say here is a way of receiving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's your faith in the promises of Christ that give you this justification we've been talking about. But a prayer is a good way to tell God, I'm putting all my trust, in your promises to save me through Jesus Christ. He never uh, breaks his promises, does he? Yeah. And so let's, if if you want to, I'm going to shut my eyes and you can join me if you want, right where you are. Uh, God, I want to be in your family that lives forever with you. I want to be able to call you Father as I become one of your children. I receive uh, Jesus Christ right now as my own personal Savior from all the sins I've committed in my life or ever will commit. I trust in him right now for eternal life. Thank you for providing him for me. It's in his name I pray.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. I want to thank you for being on the show. Um, This is a great honor for me um, to have you here, but I am so looking forward to the future shows. Um, Obviously, because we get a great topic, but also I get great insight. And uh, as you remember from when we were going to class, I love the fact that Mm -hmm. I'd pick you up and we'd drive an hour and a half, two hours to class and have dinner and then go to class and then drive home. And you know me, I was... Picking your brain all the way down, and all those were down. good times. Great, great
0: times for me. And Only the, problem is you've picked me clean, and I, <laughs> I don't, there's not I, much left. Listen, I've you have forgotten more than I'll ever know. Well, I tell you, the old gray matter ain't what she used to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, mine never was. So, look, thank you so much. I love you, Dave Anderson. I love Betty Anderson. Um, you guys have been so powerful in my yeah. family. Uh, you've prayed for me. Uh, you've been there for me, yeah. you've listened to me cry, you've listened to me uh, laugh, you've listened to me uh, rejoice, and uh, and I'm so, so thankful.
0: Well, for we you. love you. You're like a big teddy bear.
1: Well, <laughs> I, 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 Sasquatch. <laughs> as my Bigfoot cup would tell you, uh, You know anybody who knows me knows that uh, uh, UFOs and Bigfoot is there you go. the things I like to look at. But, there you go. Um, love you, brother, and thank you for being here. And by the way, like, subscribe, get ready. We got more shows just like this coming your way. Thank you so much. I'm Skip Calvin. Out for Dirt Road to Success.